Now entering Nerdist.com. You made it with, you made it with, you made it with. What's happening, weirdos? This is uh, T.J. Miller's third appearance on the show. This is a bonus episode. Uh, it's topical. It's relevant to this week, so I wanted to get it out uh, as soon as possible. And also, we're recording a lot of uh, back back issues, which is great. So that means we'll be able to... Scout is drinking water in the background. That's not Katie urinating on the floor. Scout! Uh, hydrate up, buddy. Hydrate up. It doesn't bother me. People hate eating on the mic. How do you feel about a dog sloppily lapping up warm water off the floor? Anybody? Uh, there's no ad for this. Uh, there's no ad. There's no ad, just the good news that hopefully we'll be doing more and more bonus Friday episodes. And here are the tour dates. Uh, this weekend I'll be at Bumbershoot. The day you hear this, if you're in Seattle, I'm at Bumbershoot performing. Then comes the University of Rhode Island on September 2nd. That's open to the public. Uh, then Nashville for Zanies. That's September 5th and 6th. I'll be in Nashville. After that is Portland, uh, Kentucky. Oh, not Kentucky. Yeah, Kentucky. Louisville is in Kentucky. Louisville at the Iroquois Amphitheater. It's one show with Maria Bamford, Tommy Jonigan, and Chris there. That is September 27th. That's a Saturday in Louisville. Come out to that. Madison, Wisconsin is going to be October 17th and 18th. Uh, the American Comedy Company in San Diego is November 14th and 15th. And the Paradise Rock Club in Boston on November 29th, followed by Bloomington, Indiana, December 11th through 13th. So come out. Those are those are new dates. we got Louisville added, and we got uh, San Diego added, and Nashville, and Rhode Island. Come on, everybody. It's great to see weirdos out at the show. It really means a lot that you guys make it out. Hope to see you then. Enjoy a really, really, this one blew my mind. As TJ always does. I'm so happy that we're friends, and I'm so happy that it came in. I love him to death. Enjoy. TJ Miller, I believe it's number three. Get into it. <laughs> I you were You're a late man. What's that? You're late. Oh, that's what I, that's what I should be saying? No, I'm telling you that. You have a real self-esteem issue, I actually don't. <laughs> Sit here. Only a person who does would be like, actually, I don't. <laughs> That's not true at all. In fact, I've seen... This is going poorly so far. <laughs> all right, so yeah, just call me when you're ready. Go do your homework. I just want to love you all night long. I just want to love you without a condom on. This is where it's going to be? I just want to love you the whole night long. Is there a reason that you don't sit across each other? I just want to love you without a condom on. You made it weird. You didn't make it easy on me. You asked the hardest questions. You made me stay longer. Now I have to be. It's the longest podcast available on any network. And your work ethic is work ethic, but it doesn't end with the word work ethic. Work ethic. Work ethic. Everybody's got a good word ethic. Everybody working work, work ethic, work ethic. Yeah. Hello, And that's teenage. a little example of uh, improvisation, which is something that we studied in Chicago. Chicago. I do. I used to call it Jeff Sienna because it was all Jeff Sienna. 
You're using a Mabus. 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 I taught him about it. Pete and I aren't very funny, and we're not great writers, so we're very loud. <laughs> but we both speak incorrectly. So I taught him. He goes, that steaming thing you use, is that, does that help your voice? I said, you better believe it. I'll be the, I'll be in the Mucinex. I mean, I just I just booked the Mucinex campaign. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, buddy. You're the Mucinex monster. He's not a monster. He's a peak. He's a piece of mucus. <laughs> no, you know what? He's the peak of mucus. He's the zenith of boogers. <laughs> that old joke. I've been doing that one since 1990. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> you are the I weirdest. love that you make people sit. Well, so you made it weird. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna need the steamer. That that's that's, that's why no that's thing. why you lose your. Uh, yeah, I voice. know. Then it went real. Then it went real. No, you've done the podcast. You're the most repeated guest, and you don't remember that you sit in an angle. Well, I wonder about that because you. So is that to get it sort of closer to be? Closer yeah, to there's person, less to make table it between us. Look how little want to look across. Maybe that's something about the two of us because I like to look across someone. But growing up, when my father had important things to talk about, I had Not to go up to his office, which was in his study, the top of our our house, and I would have to sit across from him as like a fourteen year old. He's on the other side of his huge desk. And I just had to sit there, like, waiting until he finished working. And then he would turn around because his computer's away. He has two chairs, two workstations. So he'd finish working, turn. There's a laptop on the desk. The computer's so he'd finish working on the desktop, turn, look at me, and, you know, say, like, so. <clears throat> Your mother says that uh, they, they would like to suspend you from middle school. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> Where do you see yourself in four minutes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like right here, but with more urine running down my leg. Was your dad a scary man? No, I mean he's just a stoic from southeast Kansas. They do, they do things a certain way. My family's strange, you know. I guess let's just begin. I well, you, you have to believe. Pete Holmes, leave I got in less than an I hour. got engaged. Well, and most podcasts are only forty five minutes. So, so that's the problem is, with is yours. Is I was telling the stat stat that's Aristotle that when we do a short one, people think it's because. Do you of believe the in Neo-Machian ethics because your name is Aristotle? Or no? I have not you don't have to read it. You just have to believe it or not. So you don't know. It's okay. It's bullshit, anyways. Yeah, okay. Neo-Machian is. Did you know they said though? You know that Plato, uh, who had the Academy, which was the first sort of college or school of philosophy, they say that uh, he. He one time Aristotle didn't show up because he was sick or something. He had to work, and uh, Plato Plato stopped somebody in the middle of talking, like an answer to a question of his, and he was like, "I don't even know why I'm here. The mind of the school Aristotle isn't present. <laughs> wow! And when he isn't here, then nobody's really learning." And it was this awful moment where it was like, oh, no, <laughs> the smartest man's in Socrates said none of us are smart. Well, my favorite thing that Plato said was, um, mash me into this thing that I might be the shape of a star or a crescent moon. Yeah. Which would you rather be? Star or crescent star. moon? Star. More, really? Crescent more, moon. More mass. Less mass. Then people, no, people can slide. Oh. You use the crescent moon as a little slide. I like to think of myself as five slides. Ah, five tiny slides, each one leading to another slide in perpetuity until you go insane. And isn't that... It's for me, the crescent moon at the end, you go down to your little boy with a fishing rod, and then you can make all your dreams work. <laughs> and you can work for... Dreamworks. Am- or Amblin. Amblin Entertainment, that's true. There's well, they're so both. many moon entertainments. Well, they're both owned by the same person. Mm-hmm. Steve, Steven Spielberg. I know Steven. 
Yeah, how is he? He's great. He is great. He was a little under the weather last week, but this <laughs> week he's on top. You got E.T. to touch him. He's fine. Buddy, uh, the, the, the reason I've been on your show more than once is because I don't stay on for that long. You can't exhaust. Then <laughs> it seems like there's You're more like to me. You're like Berbiglia. only does like 45 minutes. And that is the only way I am like Mike Berbiglia. <laughs> what you should have said was nothing. <laughs> <laughs> what you should have said was any other name. <laughs> I'm TJ Miller, BBB Booze, Sninnins. BBB and Nudes. Um, so you're engaged. I'm engaged to be Yay. married. Patrick, what do you think? When I saw you in Denver, you were not yet engaged. And that's true. So and it, just, it happened, let's see, two days ago, three days ago. Well, the day before the Emmys. And I played I played a trick on her because I like playing tricks on people. You're a and real she surprises. And I told her, um, I said, when we got back, I had to go straight to meet with with Ari Emanuel as an agent that I just let go. And he's like the most powerful agent. I said, he's got, he's got to meet me right now. I've got to go over there. You let him go? And then I waited, yeah. And then I waited and you I... You fired? I got, yeah, and I got to, don't make it weird. <laughs> <laughs> so then I went to... Let's talk about the real thing, because this is where we're headed, is that I said to her, I said, meet me at Stark Bar, which is where we met when I was in a previous relationship that I shouldn't have been in, that was headed towards an, a faux engagement that wasn't going to happen. And uh, and and I I sort of asked her to meet because I wanted to, I you know I wanted to tell her that I was I was maybe going to get engaged. And it was interesting because somewhere in my mind that I didn't want to be open to because I don't particularly like the idea of uh, failure as possibility. Mm. Uh, I was I didn't need I didn't need to tell anybody else that I wasn't going to tell someone else. You know, hey, I'm thinking about getting engaged, but for whatever reason, I had to tell Kate, and she um, showed up, and um, you know, it it became clear as we started to talk that I was sort of quietly, and you know, the subtext was, "Do you think are you still in love with me? Would you still be with me?" Mm. And her subtext was, and she actually said this overtly: "Listen, you don't have to marry this person, but you should marry someone who knows you, and I know you." And I and I know that you need somebody who knows you, hmm. and uh, so, so you that tell, was that was should... all I needed to sort of go. Okay, this could maybe work. And then I played sort of like hard to get. Like, okay, well, it's good to see. It's good to talk to you. But what we did is you just hand her an autograph. We went in three D. <laughs> Thanks just, so much for coming. But it's a full it's a full size bear that <laughs> that I wanted a carnival with my addiction to carnival games. You love them. I lost two hundred twenty thousand dollars last the, year, and you're the only person I know that drinks milk. On the guess of weight alone, <laughs> that guy doesn't forget, and water weight doesn't count. Dad, turn around. I'm at the desk. Um, and so she's, you know, so we went down under this. There's this great, uh, there's this great, great, great piece of art. It's just a giant rock at the Los Angeles County Museum of Art. And it's called Levitated Mass. And you can walk underneath of it. And it's a rock. It's held up by two, like, just small steel, like, buttress, buttresses. I don't even know what you call them. And, um, a non-flying buttress. It's, it's barely, exactly. It's barely, uh... <laughs> It's you know it's barely anything, but it shows you this giant giant rock. You know it's it's all these things. It's human innovation over nature, but it's standing under something that could crush you, and yeah. it just means all these different things. Grounded buttress. And we went in there. We went underneath it there, and we kind of said goodbye. And she told me later that she thought, all right, well this is maybe Wait, the you last said time I'll under see. The rock? Well, she I, she, I, she said I thought that might be the last time that I'll ever I'll see him because of the fear of it and, crushing uh, you both. We were, yeah, well, and I had loosened all of the bolts. <laughs> Because I like to keep it dangerous, people. That's my brand. 
Um, no, I, uh, and so we'd sort of, it was, it was sitting under there and we just, you know, organically kind of leaned in and kissed. And I didn't think about it then, but as I started thinking about proposing, which it was like a three month process of me, she tried on a ring at this place where I was looking at watches and she loved it and I could see in her face, but it was too expensive. And she just felt, she was like, oh, this really makes me feel like an empress, but I know it's too expensive. And she like wiped the expression off her face because she's so sweet. She would never put a person in a position where they had to buy something forever. And, you know, I said, no, there's no way. I'm never going to spend that much money on any. And then the next day I started calling and working on the guy and being like, what about if it's like 50% off? And he's like laughing in my face there in Beverly Hills. He's like, you're such an idiot. But it had been there for a year and a month and I knew that. So I waited a month. Oh, like the market, like the diamond market. Like no one's buying this preposterously expensive ring. Well, it's not. It wasn't preposterously expensive because it's not a diamond. It's a sapphire. Sapphires are associated with both healing powers and royalty throughout history. I know what sapphires. Are. I'm just kidding. Well, let's see a couple. <laughs> I, I didn't know. Well, you are wearing a sapphire toe ring. That's true. He's got two <laughs> middies on the bad piggies. <laughs> that old thing. Um, and so I, you know, it's so it's not a, it's not a preposterously expensive ring, but it was too expensive for me. I can't spend. You know, that much money on a ring. What? Mm-hmm. Oh, is this the you made it weird part? I just... <laughs> uh, it doesn't really matter even. It's, I think it was $20,000. And that's, that's just so much money. That's a car. It's just yeah. so... It's so many things. That's I went to this Kias. other place. I went to this other place. Yeah, but you know, listen, I tried to give her a Kia, but it wouldn't fit on her goddamn hand with those fat fingers. Oh, too fat for Kia fingers. <laughs> That's what we call Kia. They used to call her in college. That's true. Before Kia existed. So I I worked them down, worked them down, down, down to eventually I did get it to half the price almost. You did? Yeah, yeah. Because that's what, you know, that's what I do. Well, tell, tell, tell me how you did that. You just kept calling? You were just tenacious? Yeah, I mean, you know, I talked to them. I sort of made it clear I was going to be a customer there. I started sort of working the angle of, you know, you guys have had it around a lot. I talked about paying cash. We talked about shipping it out of state. I just did every single trick there is in the book, and most of them didn't work. But what is shipping it out of state? Mean? About you Different. don't have to pay tax in California or Colorado. Oh, so we shipped it to my mother, who loved it. <laughs> then, Very. So it's a great, but, but it was a great <laughs> ring, and I remember seeing it and being like, "This is a little big." Um, but it's great. I mean, it's just like a great ring in that moment for her, and she didn't expect it. And for months after that, I, she would see another ring. She only saw two other rings that she was like, actually one. She found it online. That one was $42,000, and she didn't know it until she called, and we were on our way to try it on. And that was like a weird thing. Was She was like, oh, I know we can't have this, but I just want to try it on. And she kept saying, well, it's a sapphire and a diamond. And it's like the two of us. And I was like, it's just not going to happen. And I said, I know you think this is the perfect <laughs> ring. I said, I know you think this is the perfect ring. But I also know that uh, that last ring that you saw, that first one that you put on, you thought that was the perfect ring. And don't think that I didn't go back there and see if I could work them down. And they sold it, and it's gone, and it's fine. And if this one's still here, then we'll get it. But if they sell this one, you'll find another perfect ring. And uh, so I was lying to her, yeah. Yeah, you were So she didn't know that I had it the whole time. Yeah, uh, on your deck. It was great. So I I, I was keeping it the only place I knew it would never fall off. (laughs) Um, 
which I was trying to make a self-effacing joke where I said I had a small penis, yeah. but it sounded like I had a big one. But truly, her ring size is negative Very five. <laughs> you found That's it. That's an old inverted dick joke. For those of you in Idaho, means I nothing. Mean. Means nothing. Freud's theory of id was inverted dick. Yeah, and it was also <laughs> Idaho. Idaho is the id of America. And now you know why Pete and I have been doing a two-man show in the Catskills for the last two and a half nothings. Um, so I told her, you know, I'm in big trouble. I got to go and meet. Yeah. And then I, I came back and, and I was actually there setting up. They put balloons up. Um, actually, they wouldn't let they wouldn't allow balloons. So we put those in the apartment. But I bought we, we've known each other for 12 years. We dated in college, junior and senior. You know her from back in the day. Yeah. Because we dated two years after that. We she went on a double York, date with my on. wife. That's right. That's what I was going to tell you to tell the people. Well, tell the people. We just did. I just mean that you've been dating Kate for so long and then you were apart. And I remember thinking, God, Pete's wife is great. He's really great. <laughs> She's really great. And I go, swear to God, in my mind, I go like this. I go, I, TJ, you're kind of, you're making yourself like her. Do you know what I mean? Like there was this thing where there was no reason not to like her. But in my mind, I was like trying to make her cool. Because I was like, she's with Peach. Let's not just be just like Texas toast without butter or anything on it. It's just <laughs> thick and useless. So you're just trying like, I'll have a water, no ice. You're like, she writes her own rules. <laughs> <laughs> How very European. <laughs> I was trying. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Yeah. Uh, but I do, I remember, I, I remember thinking, not, I mean, there's nothing against her, everything against her. She's <laughs> just a black hole of what life could be used for. Um <laughs> <laughs> so she uh I remember being like she is. She's I know that she's she's got to be cool. There must be something missing here. And I remember just kind of taking it for granted cuz I trust you. I think you know, Yeah, you know? sure. And uh but you know, Kate kind of did the same thing. She's like I really like her. I think Kate said something like she's really She's really good for Pete. So that, again, was both of us just talking about you. It's like you. When you're talking about other people, you're just talking about how it relates to you. So, you, sir, made it weird. <laughs> Play that theme song. That's the new one. I want everyone to know, listening, that he did press down on a useless part of the table. That's the commitment he has to you, the listeners. Always. Um, no, and I, but so anyway, I know her from back in the day, and she was there, sort of at the <laughs> the origin of the the whole philosophy, you know, the absurdist philosophy. And she kind of, I think, she was very formative in that because Your she life was one philosophy. of the yeah one of the few people that kind of said, yeah, yes, and you know, this makes sense, or I don't know about this. So she really was there from the formative stages. I've known her forever, and then we split up because I wasn't moving to New York, and she didn't want to wait, and she just wanted to kind of have her own identity. And she kept saying, well, you know, you get to New York. And then she was in this really abusive relationship where the guy was verbally abusive and um, at times physically abusive. For five years she was in it, and she just let herself crumble down, mm. which happened to me in my last relationship, just crumbling. That idea of someone just kind of like let it keep continuing because both of us were very similar we were born i'm 11 days older than kate and um yeah. kate is a person who will do anything to make people in the room comfortable she'll say everybody has ultimate potentiality she's optimistic she's got a great energy so she really poured herself into this relationship that wasn't working and kept forgiving and forgiving as she was being degraded and you know attacked and and bullied and you know i've had similar experiences in my relationships and um and so it was interesting she, after 5 years in that relationship she finally got out of it 
we had seen each other in the interim, and I think at one point I was kind of like, what are you doing? You don't seem happy. This guy's name seems fake. It's like a <laughs> na- it's like it means Tuesday in some sort of African. Just like, what are you doing? He's like one of those producers where you're like, what have you produced? And then he just doesn't say anything. He's like, I, I, I said I'm a producer. It's like, yeah, but what are the, what are the films? What are the producing i'm a producer i produce the uh, the things that then become ah, tuesday and he runs away so <laughs> i'll see you next any point i'll see you next me <laughs> so uh anyway it's, ultimately we both feel sorry for him and everybody else who 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 wants to be in love with someone mm. but can't because they're mad at themselves and so they get mad at the other person or they won't they're not, you know, because you can't change other people. And if you're looking at someone going, you need to do this, you need to do that, likely you need to be turning it around and figuring out what do I need to do? What can I do? Because you're the, you're the only one that can really change yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then she moved to Los Angeles when that relationship dissolved and we started dating again. And she was just a fucking mess, man. I mean, she was really in a bad place. And I, because I'm like her, was trying to sort of caretake and make sure that she would What does it look like when she's it. in a bad place? Just you know, she doesn't get angry very often. She gets sad, and there's a melancholy that runs underneath of her. That somebody recently was like, "Oh, Adam Keatonhall and I had an incredible time on his podcast because we talked about his sister who sh- know. you know shot herself in the head, right. and he found her." And my work right now in stand up is to talk about death, you know, and and talk about moral systems and stuff like that. And uh, which is pretty heavy shit. But Adam was really open to talking about it, and it was great. I saw you after that, and that was a really troubling time. Do you remember? What do you mean? The High Plains? Yeah. Yeah, of course. I, okay, good. <laughs> I didn't think you didn't remember, but no, I when I said we talked after, like I when, didn't see anything it, in your face. Well, because I've never, I don't think I've ever spoken with you, and it's been memorable. <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> you Have don't, you ever had a memorable time talking to me? When you said I'd been on before, that was news to me. Let's hit the let's hit the theme song. Got it. I hit the useless part of the table, and nothing happened again. Um, no, you know, High Plains. My sister did. A well, set. you were having a really dark time, and that's a weird thing to say. Let me let me just juxtapose the two things. Like you were very. I've all I've said very many times that you're the most empathetic person I know, and that's true. So you have this time with Adam Caden Holland. That's truly great sociopath can emulate human feelings so well, and especially empathy. That other people, that will, other people will believe that you are not only a person of deep feeling and thoughts, but more than that, you're even you're almost super. You supersede other human beings. Like so that. you're is it is it baloney time? What do you mean? Your empathy? Whoa, you're making it weird. <laughs> <laughs> does everybody do that joke on your podcast? No, no one does. No one does. So no, but what do you mean by that? Are you saying that you manufacture deep empathy? No, I'm one of the most empathetic people you know. You just said that. Yeah, but you just right? said. Okay, so please you stop. Fooled please, everyone, Jesus, and I'm I'm the fucking I, guy. The comment about boards Jay are Gatsby. right. You are so quick to become tangentially involved in something you want to talk about. That's the sign of a great interviewer. Can't imagine why the TBS show. So uh, no, we have to stay on this. You're so weird. You had such a hard time with that. I'm trying discussion. to make it weird. But then you which discussion? I'm though? standing which discussion with Adam Caden about his about his sister. Yeah, it was so, really so sad. Tough. Yes. very sad. Sad for all of us. You know, it wasn't that but you were the only one that walked into traffic. Do you remember? Oh yes, yes of course. Do. Well, but I told you this too. Do you remember what you said? Here's when what I remember. Here's what I remember. I'm going to tell you right now. Please. Here's what I remember. I was showing Kate and you that I'm writing a movie now called The Nihilist. Yep. And if you're a nihilist, 
than you walk through traffic. Right. Because it doesn't matter either way. I understand They can that. or they can't or whatever. So then we went over there. And we sat down, and I didn't have a tough time with Adam. Actually, Adam and I had a great conversation because I'm at a place where I understand that death isn't a part of life; it isn't part of our existence, so it's separate. And I also am at a place where but I understand okay. that people don't like to talk about death. Society doesn't talk about. But it. your death would have affected your one of your best friends and Kate, your fiance. Mm-hmm. And that's very selfish of you to say. I suppose it you're is. you're only thinking about yourself. You're not thinking about me. It would be. It would yeah, be, but you're not thinking it would be about real. me. You're being selfish. You walked into traffic, and uh, that who's would being be... selfish? If you're like your death is going to affect me. Yeah, you, you both of us. No, not. Why do I have a responsibility to you to live a life that will then not affect you in a negative way? When you pledge yourself to be married, that's one. Yeah, but we're not married. And, yeah, well, all right, then I guess. And that's because you never asked. <laughs> but you don't feel a responsibility to me to be healthy and help what, yourself? What is the responsibility? What is that? Why, why, am, why, why am I beholden to you for my own existence? What if I moved away because it was important to me to get out of all of this, to not be mired in Hollywood anymore in the emptiness of the strip mall of broken dreams that is Los Angeles? And I decide that I'm going to move to Idaho and follow my id. And I'm going to go there and I'm going to bring Kate and we're never going to talk to anybody again. And we're just going to be with one another and we're going to write and we're, she's going to paint and we're just going to start a life completely new. Then, And that's what makes me happy. Finally, I understand those are the values that I should have been pursuing from the beginning. The rest of the values that I've been, been pursuing have been pushed on me by society and conformism and herd mentality. And that's what I wanted to do. And I go out there and instead of being happy for me, you're like, yeah, he just took off. What yeah, but, a dick. But now I can at least... that's the exact same thing as me dying, except you have to go to a funeral, which knowing you, you'd be like, I can't believe you didn't sit me closer to the <laughs> casket. I'm I don't... not that way. It would have been devastating to Kate, certainly. To be sure, but instead of thinking about how it affected her, like you do, she would have thought about how it affected everyone, the world, that maybe I w- w- less people would laugh because I died or some... She'd find some beautiful way... You don't to think transfer, she would start with to that transfer, would suck for me? To trans- no, I don't. That's interesting. And that's why I'm marrying her. That's great. Because she, she, she would spend effort and time, which she did after she got out of that five-year relationship. And I said, you know, I think you need to do this work on your own. I can't save you and you want me to save you. And she said, you're right. I do want you to save me and you can't. And so then she became a weird chanting Buddhist mm. and, you know, studied and worked to try and understand how suffering can be seen as beauty if looked in the right light. And that's how we are twins. We're very similar. Her, hers is beauty. Mine is comedy. It's, we both understand that you can see everything through a lens, either mine, which is the jester's eye. That's my symbol. And then hers, which is a, a beauty brain, which is a part of your brain that is sort of see things as beautiful. And you can expand that until you see everything as beautiful, a dirty puddle, a homeless person going through convulsions, whatever it is. She knows that there is beauty in everything, especially suffering. So she would have begun work immediately on transferring that suffering into beauty. You would have begun work immediately on how this affected you, how you're going to get through it, what you're going to do. Why did he do this? You turn it into anger. You'd be like, TJ, why did he do that? He's such a jerk. He just walked out into traffic. TJ, you don't be better than thinking I wouldn't have been sad that you wouldn't have done that your show that night. I'm just trying to make it weird. And you are. I'm you, not. You didn't mention that. The unhappy. first thing. The first thing you said. Yeah, you I didn't you mention the, the show. Thing. No, you said you just you you wouldn't even that you don't realize how that would affect Kay and I. So then, what, and this is interesting because we did go over to the parking lot, and I went to have a, you know a, a clove and sit with you, and well, we all we were just standing and talking, and I was trying to talk to you about Adam, Kate, and Holland's 
sister in this podcast, and I started trying to read a piece he had done in The Atlantic about it. And you did. But you were sort of distracted for good reasons, I think. You were sort of thinking about when do we go up? What am I doing? And, saying, and Kate, who can ingest all information around her at all times and adjusts and sort of sees more than really anyone else sees because her mind works like that, works so fast on so many different planes. She sort of gave me a couple of looks like this isn't the time to do this. I know that this is cathartic for you and you you know, you know, want to connect with Pete right now because you guys don't get to see each other very often and you want me to hear this article also. But I think we got to go back inside. You're not. And um, and I, I sort of kept kind of sadly – I sort of – I felt pathetic actually. I kind of kept sadly trying to make a moment out of this to say – Look what happened today at this, this podcast. Let's read about this beautiful thing Adam wrote about his sister. And um, uh, and, and it just wasn't working. And, and Kate did something great. She walked away. I don't know if you'll recall. Do you remember that? I do. She walked away. She went back over to the street. And she did that because non-verbally with sort of you know body language cues, I wasn't t- getting the hint or I wasn't, I wasn't agreeing to what she's saying. So she just walked away and she said, if you want to manufacture this moment, you can do it on your own. And when she did that, I stopped. And I was like, okay, never mind. Hmm. And, you know, I am in a place where I do, I, I mean, I've only done it twice or three times, but I do walk into traffic because I'm trying to write a movie about a guy who all of his power comes from not caring if he lives or dies. And, and everything that he does, he does it because nothing matters. So instead of doing nothing, he does everything because all of it's meaningless. And that takes a lot. You know, the Nietzsche the stuff that I'm reading, it's this thing right now, it's a stage he calls tunneling, which is where you break down all of your moral systems and you sort of break it down all the way to nihilism. And then once you face nihilism and accept it, only then can you overcome it and begin creating your own meaning. Starting over. Yeah, well, not even starting over, just starting. Because you, you, you didn't start when, when we all were born. People were just like, this is the way it is. You got to make money. If you have a family, then you should live in the suburbs. If the housing price is in the right place, you got to do a job. You got to make money. But also you want to do something that you're passionate about. If you're passionate about something and you're not successful according to the metrics of society, then you're not a successful person. So you should feel bad about that. But that's okay because there are plenty of opiates available. There's television. There's consumerism. There's all these different things. So you don't start over. You just start. And you can start at any point you can start when you're a child if for some reason your parents are able to give you kind of almost a blank slate environment or you can start when you're 89 and you realize you're dying and you're told you have cancer and then you start going well wait a second let me as Nietzsche does let me revalue my current valuations let me me reevaluate all of my values Mm -hmm. and nobody really does that and so that's what I'm trying to do is stand up but that so that's that's why that happened and then but Kate you know we came back from there and it was great because she, you know, she she bought a hook, line, and sinker. She didn't know that I had the ring. I had told her I had a layover in Detroit, but really, I and I said I don't want to talk. I'm so pissed off about this layover. And it's always <laughs> funny because I'm never mean or, or or like combative or adversarial with her. So whenever that happens, she kind of is like, "Well, that's weird," but it can't possibly have to do with him trying to marry me. And I went and asked her father's hand in marriage. And the morning before I asked uh, her hand in marriage, I asked her mother's for her mother's uh, you know, blessing, yeah. yeah. And uh, so she arrived, 
And it was because on the phone I was like, you know what? This is such fucking bullshit. All this agents and Hollywood shit and the way people see other people and the fucking hype and the perpetuation of the myth and nobody cares about the actual comedy. And I'm, I'm like trying to be a part of something that doesn't even want me in it because it requires status anxiety and I don't have that and it scares everybody or it doesn't scare them or they don't <laughs> care or I'm, I'm scared of how I actually do have status. It's just, it's bullshit. Just come, come to Stark Bar, come to LACMA. And let's just sit and just fucking talk it out. And so she showed up and I said, just come, come under the rock. Let's just talk about something that means something. And then I brought her down there and I had had a photographer and our song from college was playing not there, but in the, the, like the bar restaurant, the Stark Bar right next to there. So you could hear it? I know and that's I, an obvious no, 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 she, oh. no, no, she couldn't hear it. Oh. So, but it was there when we arrived. So she uh. goes down there and I, I took it too far. I kind of tricked her. I go, look, I've been lying to you. And she was like, what? I was like, I just, I, I've been lying. I, there was no meeting, you know, with, with any Hollywood agents. And she's like, okay, that's fine. So what's going on? I was like, and I've been lying to you for a while. It was so funny because that was the moment I was going to go. I didn't have a layover in Detroit. I, I, asked, I asked your father for your hand in marriage. But before I could say that, she goes, are you still living with an ex-girlfriend? Oh, <laughs> I was like, I know. God. But then I go, I go, No. No, and then it took that awful turn for like no, 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 no. I went too far. Fuck. So, so I, I said no. Of course, what? Don't you live together? She and I, yeah, but yeah, she, she has like, her own place. She, oh. I, no, no, but my thing was, I did. I said that to her. I go, how could, how, how could I do that? She was like, well, that's the only thing I can think that would be really devastating. And I was like, no. She was like, well, if it's anything else, then then it's fine. We can get past it, which was a great moment. Hmm. And then I said. I'm such an asshole. Then I said, well, what if I was living with, with a different girl, like a different ex-girlfriend? And she was like, well, no, yeah, we couldn't get past that either, really. So then there's this weird, like, all right, is this going to be a French Restoration comedy of errors or what's yeah. happening? And so I said, I told her about the layover in Detroit, and she couldn't believe it. And then I sort of slowly got down on my knees. And I'll never forget when I finally hit my knee. And I had thought about this before, but I was like... Right, you got to get in a comfortable position because you're going to be down there for a second. I hit my knee and it hurt so fucking bad. <laughs> and it was just off and the tendon was pinching the side of the knee bone, which is connected to the thigh bone, which was connected to the hip yep, bone. bone. There it is, girl. <laughs> and so I had to like reposition. Which and then, is you connected know, to the mouth, which I is asked, connected to the ham Which bone. is connected to the Mabus steamer. <laughs> should, it should be, that should be the sponsor for you. You made it weird. <laughs> I do. Um, and, uh, so, you know, and then, so I, you know, I said something very sweet that is not for all the listeners to hear. And, um, I also had a great moment that you'll love where halfway through it, I was like, fuck, I forgot to record this on my phone. And I was <laughs> like, TJ, what are you doing? Just live life. Stop trying to record it. Like there's some legacy that it adds more permanence to what is all ephemeral and is eventually going to end mm. for all of us. So that, that I was really disappointed in myself for that. I'm going to shoplift the word ephemeral. Please do. So good. And, uh, uh, well, that's one of the things I say, right? It's an, uh, comedy is an ephemeral escapism for the tragedy that permeates everyday life. I know. When we, when we saw you, my girlfriend and I saw you, all those little moments that you uh, instruct. I don't know. What's the right word there? But say a truth. I don't know. Yeah, it's, that's, I think it's, that's really all we remembered. I'm working on. You might it's think like, it's the other way. That's all we talk I, about. I, yeah, I, was, I think about it, it's tang. I was. I'm trying to figure out what it is. I think it's tangential philosophy. It's yeah. Like, oh, by the way, have you ever considered this thing? And here's what it well, is. It's the only really... remaining format that's like relevant. Like philosophers don't stand around as much. Well, here's my new thing. Hit it. Comedians hmm. 
are the new philosophers. That's the responsibility that we have. Before they were activists, George Carlin, Richard Pryor, it's race, it's politics, it's mm-hmm. society, it's social mores, customs, all that. And then our generation, I've talked to Jess and Link about this a lot. Trust our, me, buddy. Our generation is it's supposed to do like death, you know what I mean? And, t- and talk about philosophy, talk mm-hmm. about the meaning of it all, the meaninglessness of it all, all that stuff. And not everybody has to do that. I mean, as an absurdist, it's not it's not my place to like explicitly say this is what you should think about it. But I, I think agree. that's why I feel comfortable in that sort of tangential right turn and then veering right back into the weird mm-hmm. stuff. Because you say but that you thing. do that, you do that. You go, I do listen do that. to me, listen. Yeah, yeah. It's not even tangential, but you you are a philosopher. This is people like this podcast because it's actually a podcast about philosophy. What is your Life philosophy? philosophy? Yeah. yeah. I agree with that, and that means a lot to hear you say, because obviously I value your opinion. But I think that is something that a lot of the people that we love are doing. Like, you have that bit about relationships, and I don't, you don't have to tip the bit or ruin it, is, is that you say, like, you talk about uh, utter transparency. Ultimate transparency. Ultimate transparency. And that's that, the only way to reach so, ultimate intimacy. Yeah. And you know what was really crazy is people laugh at that part, too. It's unexpected, but I also think they're just laughing because they know it's true and people are starving to be told something true. Well, and also, I think they're uncomfortable because the person that they're sitting next to, they're like, we don't have that. And yeah. we're also not going to talk about it after the show. <laughs> so that's terrifying to everybody. A sheer nightmare. But it's not, you know, the idea is, that it's, it's, this is Socratic, but Nietzsche's the same way. It's like, it isn't about the answer. Nietzsche talks a lot about like why 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 is truth held in such high esteem? Why why is it that everyone's like, well, tell me the truth? What's the truth? Let's get to the truth of the matter. You can't handle the truth. Mm-hmm. All that sort of stuff. Why? Who cares? Why is truth of more value than nonsense or fiction? We love fiction. We love myth. Yep. Why is historical accuracy more important than the mythological components that teach us something? Those are questions that not a lot of people ask. Nobody, nobody questions why we think truth is so important. That's why Nietzsche is probably the smartest. Freud called him a man that you're, you're, you have such a penetrating understanding of your own mind and the human intellect that I, can, I cannot teach you anything. I can only learn from you. Because he said, without, you told me that, that's when Nietzsche said, would you like to analyze me? Yeah, and they did a psychoanalysis on him, yeah. And, and, then, said, and then at the end, I think Nietzsche something, you know, this is all myth or something, but it was, it, it's, like, supposedly at the end of it, Nietzsche was like, well, great, this has been a waste of my time. Like, yeah. that was how quickly he was to, like, even the most brilliant psychologist <laughs> in the world can't tell me anything about my own mind. Well, great. I guess back to the goddamn drawing board. But see, even if that is a myth, I'm right there with you. You and I don't see uh, the world exactly through the same lens. Yeah. I don't know what but my... But similar, I think. Somewhat similar, for sure. And I'm in a real place where I'm really valuing myth and nonsense as much as I am uh, truth. Well, that's why I know so much about giraffes. I know because it's absurd. No, because why is that? Why is that information any more <laughs> important or less important than knowing about what's going on in Iraq? Right. I suppose wouldn't the argument be that you could mobilize or make a difference and have people stop dying? And how many do? So few. So so how few. Ma- how many people read about it, feel bad, or ingest the information, or get angry, or have some reaction, and then make no action? Right. Is that better than me knowing that most giraffes' hooves are the size of dinner plates? Don't, don't giggle. Or that they have the same amount of vertebrae as human beings? How far apart are we from giraffes? They're the tallest of all the land animals. You must know that I would rather know about... Look at look at the joy we're having now with that. Part of it is because it's nonsense, but also because it's just information 
that is much better than if I came on here like a lot of your guests and be like, here's the fucking problem. So the Democrats, you know, you, you, you got to come over here. You're basically libertarian. If you go too far left, this country is bureaucracy. That it's just it's the red tape that you can't even make it through because there's red tape before you can get to the red tape. Why? What does that do for anybody? No yeah. one listening is yeah. like, yeah, you did it. Now, <laughs> now I continue to not think about death and how like how soon that, that I should be evaluating how precious every single moment is and making a decision to make meaning instead of search for it. Mm. So it's that sort of stuff. And then, you know, I'll just double back to say that like Kate said, yes. And it's so funny. Cause we already were kind of married. Like, I guess this French uh, woman said to her, she goes, so how long have you, uh, how long have you in the, your video at the Emmys was really funny. The one where Robin Williams does all the accents. Just kidding. And that's morbid. And morbid is the only, cause I did, I, I did a prosthetic thing where I, I was Robin Williams and is in memoriam. <laughs> But now that's that's morbid, that right? Morbid. But we only have one adjective for talking about death, and it's morbid, and it's never positive, right? No one's ever like, and this is in my act right now. I'm working on it at least. Is no one's ever like, hey, Steve, just want to tell you, I know you're taking off, see the family for the weekend, but just before you go, you're super morbid this week. I really appreciate it. Keep it morbid. You're bringing up death <laughs> all the time, and it really helped us sort of remember that existence is fleeting. And we should really value every moment, question our own presuppositions. So keep it morbid all weekend long. Don't die, though. Just kidding. But think about it. I'm serious. At the end of the show, you should say keep it morbid. Keep it morbid, y'all. That's your keep it crispy. That's I take that. <laughs> it's so sad. No, you're absolutely right. I, I guess uh, when people are like, it's a black comedy or a dark comedy, I know you have to go. No, I don't. I don't. Yeah, I do not. Okay. Relax about the time. No, not longer is not better. No, please, I know. Nor is shorter. I've already had my fill. I mean, time I, is God, and we'll talk about it. that later. What do you mean? Well, it's a theory that Katie and I are working on. It's not ready to be, you know, outwardly. But we found out the time is God. You don't have to present it to me. You can just. It's the only thing that's truly that omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. Time. And it's benevolent because there is no bad or good within it. So it supersedes good and evil. Hmm. So it's more powerful than God. Everything exists within it. Everything is measured by it. Right. You can't escape it. It's more powerful than anything else. Nothing can overcome it. Nothing is eternal. A lot of people's idea of God is something that is outside of space-time. But what is that? How can we even begin to understand that? Myth. And, and no, 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 and you just said a lot of people's ideas of God is something that's outside of time yeah so you're still measuring god by it being outside of time in a thing that we don't understand because how could we understand something outside of space and time well and then we get into the hubris of like you know why are we so desperately searching for some again truth like what what is the truth of this what is god is there a god All you know this i wonder stuff. if you're like this when i was a, a super christian i was like oh i'm going to heaven because i believe in jesus and i was like what is my belief worth that was something that really used to bake my noodle people believe in all sorts of hog shit like Jesus is in the same category as me being like, I believe if you roll the windows down, you save gas. You know what I mean? Like yeah. other shit. My belief is cheap. You know what I mean? I believed you loved me. I believe that would be well, delicious. Listen, belief is cheap, but faith is cheaper. Faith because, is cheaper. Yeah, because at least belief is subject to being cross-examined if you have the courage to do it. Go Which ahead. only two or three human beings to ever have lived have truly had that courage. Absolutely. What do you mean? Well, Socrates and Nietzsche both had the courage to cross-examine their own faith and then their belief and then their belief in faith and then why they were cross-examining themselves. And they sort of toppled into themselves. And my feeling is, and I'm still working on the film, but that nihilism and absurdism are two sides of the same coin. It's just one is there is no meaning 
And so it, it sort of, it, it tends towards uh, pessimism, but it isn't because pessimism is just a way of us describing, you know, being honest or realistic. And then <laughs> pessimists who say that anybody who's an optimist like me will go, well, yeah, of course a pessimist thinks they're being a realist if they were really looking at their pessimism they could see that they could be optimistic i know all this is pretty complex but it's just like it's just but it absurd were absurdism you, were you absurdism saying you're is, an optimist or you're saying you're a pessimist i'm an absurdist so an absurdist i thought when you said like me i didn't understand That's well like I, I, would, I would be described as an optimist because every day i'm like all right let's right. do it this morning What's going to happen? Are we doing the thing where we get in the shower and we, we, we only use the soap with two fingers for fun this time? And if it slips out, then there's no more washing. You have to get right out of the shower. That's the game. That's what we're doing today. That's, that's, that's the thing of it. Is it's like, I love also listeners. When Pete's laughing so hard that you can't hear him, he slaps the microphone. So you know I'm so laughing. So you know that he's still having a good time. You know I'm laughing. But, you know, that's, it's, it's enjoy your life. It's all that. But an absurdist then at least says, like, how ridiculous is it that I have to make up a little game with the soap in the shower, which is not even a thing that I do, but it's pretty silly that that was what I used to do the, the uh, what's wrong? I told him to light me at 3 because I thought you had to go at 3.15. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Okay. So, so what, so he, uh, you know, he threw me off and we're going to lose about 5 to 30 minutes. Absurdist. You're uh, saying you don't even do well, that in just the that, shower? Yeah, you just, you're, it's, it's choosing to sort of laugh at it. Just like just to laugh at the absurdity of it, and an absurdist like Eugenie Inesco doesn't need to be happy. I don't think Eugenie Inesco is happy. He's the philosopher that I was most influenced by, especially in high school. He's not like a, he was always scared of death. He couldn't release his death anxiety. He was like, "How can I understand eternity when everything that I understand is within the scope of what isn't eternal?" All that stuff. Mm. He wasn't like a happy dude necessarily. But at least he was in on the joke because he knew that he was making it. Making it? Making the joke. You can, a, you can only truly be in on the joke if you're making the joke. It's funny because when that's, I... That's sort of... That's my absurdism. That is Nietzsche's... That's my work after Nietzsche is like, you know... Yeah. And I, I'm tempted right now in this moment to be like... And I know that sounds pretentious, but it's like, Why? Why? Because we live in a society that's like if you act like an intellectual and the word intellectual means that you're being pretentious if you're talking about – we're also in a society where we're taught to shame ourselves for things that – like what? Like Nietzsche thinks that humility and a lot of this – the idea of nobility and humility comes from – nobles used to be aristocrats, noblemen. And so to be rich meant to be good and all the qualities that they had. And to have any qualities of a peasant meant to be bad. And that's what his, his book Beyond Good and Evil is about. Is It's like the, our concept of good and evil are handed down from antiquated either Christian or Goth or even before that moralities. And we're still subscribing to them because faith is dangerous. Faith and the idea of God and like an eternal word, this is the Bible, never question it. That hinders progress for human beings. And until we're able to sort of cast off those shackles, we'll remain in a slave and master morality. I, and I agree with that. And you know I'm far more spiritual than you guys. You're a not a spiritual person. Nope. But I completely agree with that. I think there's a new era being ushered in currently, which is an appreciation of myth, meaning something that's not literally true, meaning the life and death of somebody like Christ or Buddha, yeah. uh, and still having value at giving words to something that can't have words something that's outside of space and time, like we were saying, something unknowable. Uh, but I think nowadays I meet more and more people that are completely open to the idea that the 
values and virtues and things that we're kind of extrapolating from these myths can be challenged and can be disregarded. When people are like, we don't like this part of the Bible and it's not okay to drop this part and keep this part, I say, of course it is. You can, you can get rid of the, that part and people do that all the time. But the difference is I th- I'm meeting more and more people that say there's nothing wrong with that. It's so – what a great mind. You are truly a great mind. Really? I thought the because whole no, time no, you were listening no, no, like I was, this guy's no, full no, of No, 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 no. I was really listening and being like – because like <laughs> Kate's come up with some stuff. Well, what you just said is, is, is all sort of Nietzschean philosophy and Kate's come up with a lot of stuff independently where I'm like, Nietzsche said that. No way. She's like, yeah, beauty I think is the only absolute. And I was like, fuck, that's like his whole <laughs> argument no way. for absolutism even existing. He's like, even mathematics can be seen as a way of us categorizing. Right now I'm big in the idea of being a category killer, but like, you know, categorizing things this way or that. And, um, and, and so he even thinks mathematics is sort of this like, he just doesn't, doesn't agree with anybody, but he says that it's, and, it, and I'm trying to work on a joke about it. It's like even bros like sunsets. <laughs> like you could be the fucking toughest dude in the world. You have a couple dudes. They can be racist. They can be homophobic assholes. One of them killed somebody but didn't go to jail for that long. And they're just fucking out there. One of them hit his, his infant child to <laughs> shut him up earlier. And they can all be watching a sunset and be like, yo. That's fucking beautiful, dude. Right? <laughs> like no one's ever seen a sunset and turned to the other one and be like, "Nah, not for me. This one's not for me." That's really funny. It. <laughs> you could say the same about like cupcakes or like a, a beautiful uh, dessert treat. I don't think so. There's a lot of people that would be like, "I actually don't like cupcakes." Oh yeah, but yeah. nobody goes. I see your point. If a cupcake is really beautiful, truly. Nobody's going to be like, that's an ugly cupcake. That's right. the weird thing. And Nietzsche had a tough time getting around that because everything else was relativistic. Everything was morality is relativistic. What's good and what's bad is relative. Where you're born is relative to what beliefs you have. If you're born here, you believe in Allah. If you're born here, you believe in Jesus. That's, a, that's like Dawkins' main thing is somebody will be like, how can, you, how can you tell me to my face that Jesus doesn't exist when I see him everywhere and he's real to me? You're going to tell me I, he is not real when, when I see evidence of him everywhere? And Dawkins will be like, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I totally believe what you're saying. It's just if you were born in you know the Middle East, you'd be saying that about a law. Right. And that's kind of the end of the argument. Right. Because there's not a ton of born-again Christians in fucking you know, right. Muslim county. You know, he, the thing that I say again to my point was when I had uh, Rob Bell on the show, he, he is a, a Christian writer, but yeah. he's kind of like me. I said, if you were raised in uh, the Middle East, you'd be an, uh, Islamic. And he said, yes. He, wow. just, he just yielded to that. He was like, you're probably right. But then, that, then he might be talking about how faith itself doesn't have anything to do with the specific religion. It has more to do just with the idea of faith. But I find that, and again, you know, I'm just beginning to understand the tenets of, if I'm trying to, you know, <laughs> so disgusting even to say out loud and look at me, I'm judging myself even now. <laughs> An iconic sort of philosophical system requires that you go through the others and then, and then, and then question them into the, into, you know, go just Socratically, just like, but my thing is like, he's saying faith is maybe it's just faith. Maybe we just need faith and we need, and there's plenty of people that have said that. And I, I then have to be like, well, why? And then you do all this. And then, and then eventually with absurdism, it's a great one because nihilism goes, well, it doesn't matter if you believe what I believe or you believe what you believe because none of it has any meaning. And they go, well, yeah, yeah, it does. 
and existentialist because well, you can make your own meaning. And a nihilist will be like, you can make it, but it's not, still isn't meaningful. The word meaning is just a word that we have trying to figure out. But I think an absurdist kind of goes, isn't that ridiculous that yeah. he's calling himself a nihilist? It's pretty weird that I'm that I'm made that I'm using the word absurdist to categorize myself to try and connect to other human beings. Right. When it's, you know, just a pretty lonely experience across it's, the board, it's, just existence. It's the cosmic joke. Yeah. And that's what we talk about a lot. But you know what I don't I'm not gonna predict how you're gonna respond to this, but I'm curious how you'll respond to this. When I went to interview Deepak Chopra, I was at Whoa, his meditation center. It was wow. great. I loved it. And he wow. gave me a book called Why Is God Laughing? And I said, why is God laughing? And he said, because he gets the joke. Now, you have to understand this is a guy who does not believe in, like like you were saying, Well, iconic. no, but also is a kind of funny guy. Yeah, funny guy. I believe that. And his, like, his other guy, the guy who taught me how to meditate when I was down there, I was talking to him and he, I was like – I asked him some question. It doesn't matter what the question was. I was like, when you're meditating, do you find this, this, or this? Because maybe it was probably something like this. Like I only meditate once a day and everybody I know says do it twice a day. But I don't like doing it twice a day because I like being a little tense in the evening. Ah! And he <laughs> – I love it. And you know what he said? He said it's so calm and so present. And that's something that you can't take away from all these people that I've met. It's like, oh, these motherfuckers really are really right here, as are you. And again, an extremely present person. Not always. Not always. Not always. Thank but, you. But I a lot appreciate of the time, that because your opinion means a lot to me. As, as does yours to me. And he said – he goes, don't take it. Don't take any of this seriously. It's all a cosmic joke. All we can do is try to make it not on us. Don't let the joke be on you. At least be aware of the joke. Be aware that you are a joke. This conversation is. This isn't what he said, but this is what I took from it. You're a joke. You asking me this is a joke. Us sitting around meditating. Me drinking green juice. You know what I thought when I bought this green juice? It won't save you. That's what wow. I thought. That's exactly See, what I that's thought. That's good, and that's why you probably have the responsibility, or you can make your meaning to be responsible in part for like having those thoughts and then sharing them with people. Because that's right; it, it won't save you. And that, I sometimes have that argument with Kate. She'll be like, "Really? Like you know, you're smoking cloves while you're writing? Like you're smarter than that?" And I'm like, "What do you mean <laughs> smarter than that? Like what? How? How is it smart? Why? Because it's going to cut this all short." Again, that idea of sort of selfishness of like, but then you'll be taken away from me earlier. Right. Or you're going to die sooner because dying sooner is, I already died in 2010. This is just some strange version of my heaven. No, no, no. I'm (laughs) dead. Yeah. Right now, this conversation, being able to do this, being with Kate, that's all my version of heaven, which requires challenges because, you know, when when TJ was alive, he wouldn't have wanted a heaven that didn't come with any obstacles. It's funny that you say that. I consider that constantly i used to say it on stage i'd say what if we're all dead what if this is the afterlife wouldn't you be relieved to know that you're not going to die that this is just it or you will die and that's just then it just keeps going like it did before yeah and the reincarnation thing. and i show and you the, and I, I show you the video of how you died and it's hilarious that, like you that got hit deepak, by that deepak that deepak sorry i'm going into a transcendental meditation that would work if you just said could never remember what I just said, but I'll go back and listen to the podcast. <laughs> I won't. Uh, but I think, you know, he is sort of saying, but then, see, the absurdist has to then be brave enough to go, well, that's ridiculous that that's what he says we have to do, as if he found out the meaning and you're going to glean something from it. And it's, see, everybody is afraid because then it feels like it's collapsing on itself. And there's no meaning. There's no foundation. There's nothing. To, and it's like, just relax. Just relax. I think that's what meditation is kind of telling you. Just relax. Sometimes I say that to Kate. Relax, guys. It's happening now. It's okay. 
this person's a crackhead and that's their life and it's not worse than yours because you're not and you own an Acura but it's leased and your <laughs> wife wishes that you drove something better but you like your job and you don't want to invest and she feels like her next door neighbor is investing. I don't know that that's better. Yeah. At least a meth head has those moments of being on meth and being like, yeah, <laughs> it's like that's why heroin I'm sure is such a popular drug when I was in the hospital they shot me in the neck with Dilaudid now Dilaudid is the purest form it's not even heroin it's an opiate of the highest it's it's the zenith of American drugs if you've seen the movie Drugstore Cowboy Dilaudid is the deal now you can take it but through your mouth which a lot of people do for surgery some people even get to shoot it they, they shoot it into you if you had your knees removed whatever Removed, usually yeah. replaced. Yeah, I, I had my knees removed last week. It's great. They call me old noodle legs. So you call me in college, old rigatoni dick. An, an elective knee removal. Um, that, that sometimes they'll shoot in your arm, but if you have brain surgery, they shoot in your neck. So it doesn't go through your heart and then to your brain. It just goes right into your brain. And I got to tell you, I get it with the heroin thing because. You, and heroin isn't even that fast. No one's shooting heroin into their neck. That's insane. But Dilaudid is clean enough that you can do it. And yeah, you do it. And I remember this weird, there's a moment where you consider everything. Everything's going wrong. All the things that are terrible, life and death, all these things. And then it just melts away. And there's just a feeling of euphoria. Just a like, it is fine. Hmm. And perhaps when you were in the hospital and you were more scared than I was. Yeah. It was in part because I, I had the experience of the Dilaudid, but much more than that, it was that I had been taught and practiced gratitude my entire life, unknowingly or knowingly, for my mother. And so death doesn't seem that awful if you feel like you've already been given more than you were – or yeah. not even supposed to. What There is no supposed to. Right. This is just it. So all, all that stuff is really interesting. I mean I – you know, I, I'm still a long ways away from figuring out exactly what the, the tenets of an absurdist philosophy are, but that's pretty ridiculous even to talk about. So Yeah. It's sort of that thing. But I, I think, you know, th this experience of writing this film is really good for me because... Can I just say, everything that you're talking about, it's so interesting. You have gone deep into philosophy, and I just find that so admirable. And that's why that night you were like, come across the street, I want to talk to ne about Nietzsche. And you were wrong. I was paying attention to what you were reading. And I, did, I found it moving. I was concerned also because of what had just happened. But I don't mean to go back there. But what I'm that's saying not is, being present. Yeah, okay. That might have so been you what were, you were... You were living in something that didn't happen but, but then could I did, have. But then I did a really good job. I'm telling you the truth because I was there and I was me. I did a really good job of going, let this go, just be right here. Right I'm going to tell Nietzsche. you didn't do that great of a job because I was there and I was you. <laughs> But here's what I want to say. You and I are on very similar paths. I, I, I love – not that you need me to love, but I do love what you're doing. I do love I, that you love it. That's one of the only things that there is. Okay, good. It's like loving that I love you, you love me. We're like friends. But the, the weird thing is, is the more I go into like more of a mystical pursuit, I think the word philosophy is actually more appealing and maybe even more accurate because everything you're talking about – 
that abandon, that cosmic joke, that realizing that you're okay, that realizing of the of the uh, the oil uh, drill going down into and all the tunneling, the, tunneling, tunneling tunnel. all the way down through all the presupposed things. I call it the in-flight menu. Everything you just inherited. These are the only things you can have, and then you get into it and you rebuild. Not even rebuild, but you like you said, you just build more. And you can choose what the experience is. You can choose to be like, oh, this chicken's but, tough. It's fucking weird. Why don't they ever have pasta? But on everything here? you're saying is the same thing the great mystics that I've read and studied are also saying. But the they're bro- saying yeah. fucking... I know, but they're not... No, I don't no, mean not the, the one, problem with them. I'm saying the problem for oh, me right now... I didn't now. mean the ones that are promising heaven or reward no, no, no. or anything. I, I mean think. the ones that are like, fucking let it go. But the don't pro- take it yeah. personally. The problem it's all is, going is away. that Nietzsche himself is like all of these philosophers, all of them, except for Socrates, all of them are like laborers that I stand on their shoulders trying to look into like... You know, trying to look into the, um, you know, look into the abyss, and 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 there, and he also sort of says like, imagine. why is philosophy an important? Why is that important? Why is that admirable? Why is that better? Why is me thinking about that stuff better than somebody being like, yeah, man, I work at a factory, and not I drink about between six and eighteen beers, <laughs> and uh, you know. My old lady's cool, but you know she's kind of a bitch. And uh, I had a couple kids. One of them doesn't talk to me, but uh, mm. fuck, I like fishing. And uh, sometimes I, you know, when nobody's around and the doors are all locked, I masturbate in the living room. <laughs> hell, I get, hell, I get a kick out of that. Um, so, so why, you know, what, what the the reevaluation of values is really hard to do because maybe some people listening are like, okay, well then I go do that. It's like you really got to go do it. You got to be like, well, it's like why? a twelve-step program. Almost. But it, no, no, but there's uh, yeah, twelve. That's it's so funny. That's how limited we are as humans. Get through twelve <laughs> steps. Try a thousand, where the thousandth step is questioning not only the nine hundred ninety-ninth step, but all of the steps before it. And then on top of that, why you've initiated taking these steps, and on top of that, if taking them is good or bad, or the right or wrong thing to do, and on top of that, what is right and wrong, and what is good and bad, and on top of that, why do we ask questions like what is good and what is bad? It's just, it is a never end. it feels never-ending, mm. but it gets you to a place of nirvana, except you then have to keep questioning nirvana, and that, Nietzsche philosophized with a hammer, you know, but I didn't come on here to talk about I this. I came on here to, to talk, talk about, about Michael Bay. Oh, God. You did? Not my engagement. Yeah, yeah. My kid. Well, can I That's what you? I'm saying. Some girl goes, some woman goes, well, how long have you been together? And she goes, well, we, you know, we've known each other for 12 years and we dated and then we didn't date, but it's really, it's important, you know, but we've always been in love and I've always thought about him even when I wasn't with other people and he's the same way. And she goes, oh, so you, had, you were together for 12 years. And you just, you weren't always together, but you were together. And it was this weird French thing that Kate loved because mm. that accent she loves. And she also was like, yeah, I guess you're right. right. There, there is no delineation when you truly love someone, mm. whether or not you're with them, they're still with you. Things remind you of them. You think of them. You wonder what it would be. You spend actual parts of your life imagining what it would be like to be with them because being in your real life isn't as good as even the wonderment of you're imagining not even the real experience, which probably is better of being with that person. That's one. That's one of the reasons that we're getting married. Mm-hmm. Uh, can I ask so, selfishly um, yeah. what a good Nietzsche book would be for a schlub like me? Well, there's no schlub, but there is. Nietzsche is so complicated. I have to tell Libby, who's just very funny at not Libby on Twitter. Hold on, real quick. Old Lib. I have to tell her. 
can you let her know that uh, that we're going to do another ten minutes? Um, okay, so because I got to talk about Michael Bay. <laughs> um, so I uh, yeah, I didn't come on here to talk about all this. Oh, the Nietzschean book. Yeah, so which, which I, book? I think the problem is is that Nietzsche is so complex, and the words of his Bibles, which are every single one of his texts. One of the most popular being his 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 book that is like the Bible is Thus Spoke Zarathustra, and it's like written in the style of the Bible. But it that's that's about the protagonist is the one who declares God is dead mm-hmm. and we have killed him. Mm-hmm. Um, that one is that one's incredibly complicated. So Beyond Good and Evil is like I think one of his most popular books, and then. Echi Homo is a really good one, but that's at the very end, and it's like I am man, and he has a chapter in there why why I am such a great writer, and like all these weird like <laughs> bombastic you know pompous things that mm. he's making fun of himself for making fun of how he makes fun of himself. He's just really good at all that stuff, but he's so complicated that I just started reading Nietzsche, and I've been reading a book by Walter Kaufman, who's the leading. It's called Nietzsche Philosopher. Um, it's like philosopher nihilist uh, antichrist. <laughs> but it, you know what the really good one is? Because he is. He calls himself the antichrist. He's like, I am the opposite of Jesus. I am the truth. Jesus was was the devil in many ways. I mean, he, he one. You know, he ended his life. I now have a painting. Nietzsche killed himself. No, I have a painting in uh, my apartment in New York that is called Nietzsche hugging the horse because he went insane. Towards the end of his life, right when he finished his last couple texts, he was working on his great body of work, which was called The Will to Power, which he believes that everything boils down to just a will not to live, but to have some sort of power over things, over ourselves, or all that stuff. As he was working on that final thing, he slowly, he became insane. And the last thing he did before he collapsed into madness is he was walking down the street. Remember, this is a guy who's like... The weak are weak, and they should be treated as weak until they become masters of themselves. Then they will be stronger than those who consider even the idea of weakness. Hmm. And so he's walking down the street, and he's thinking, because he would always walk like you do, actually. <laughs> you, all, you take walks to think. Yeah, she do. did the same thing. And he was walking, and the, the, the story goes that he saw somebody was whipping their horse, was flogging a horse. And he ran over, and he stopped the man from, from beating the horse, and he hugged the horse, hmm. and then he collapsed into insanity, and he never was like – he just was a, a lunatic for the rest of his life. And he was taken care of by his, his, and his wife, his sister, although it might, as, might as well have been his wife. He had weird relationships with the women in his life. But hmm. she then – she took care of him but also took his words and used them to make a close relationship with Hitler, who was a great admirer of Nietzsche. And she made Nietzsche in philosophy – almost be like you know the 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 word of the nazis and so for decades people didn't understand what he was talking about and they thought it was about a master race and masters mm. and slaves and germans are the best when actually he hated anti-semites hated them despised them he hated the idea of master races he only believed in the idea of an individual and an individual is not us going hey check out my iphone cover yeah nobody has this it's mm-hmm. pretty cool huh mm-hmm. individualism is literally being what you already are and to become what you already are requires the most fearless and tenacious courage and so he hated all that stuff but he he even said he wrote my words will be misinterpreted for centuries before they can be understood because like socrates 
he was such an advanced mind, such mm. a great world thinker that people – it will take hundreds of years still. I'll, I'll, people will look back at anything I said about him and be like, he didn't know, you know what the fuck he was talking about. Mm. But there's – H.L. Mencken wrote a, a great uh, biography that is also – about Nietzsche's philosophy. And that's really good. It's a good read. It was written in 1905. So it was about five or six or 1908. It was like a little less than 10 years after Nietzsche died. He died in 1900. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I have, I wear this now, which is a geek speak. <laughs> what uh, does that mean? This is Nietzsche, but it has the geek speak of Silicon Valley paid for it. <laughs> um, I, actually, I love that we hung out and neither of us, obviously you wouldn't, but like, we didn't want to talk about Silicon Valley at all. Yeah. I just want to talk Why? about this shit it's all totally the time. totally meaningless. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Let's talk about the fake TV show that I'm on that has garnered critical and audience acclaim. <laughs> And how great it is and what's that experience like when all that matters is that you laugh. Same as people laughed when I'm in She's Out of My League or How to Train a Dragon or Big Hero 6 or any of this stuff. That's all I care about. I don't right. care about – people are like, what was it like to be nominated for an Emmy? Are you excited? Do you want to win? And I watch people from the Emmys being like, awards are for kids. Mm. Like you give trophies to children so that they have something tangible so they can feel – what achievement is, or they, they have some sort of like giving a dollar young. for the tooth fairy. Yeah, you don't need a you know any of that stuff. So mm. and I, I so what, if you I win one, you say, have to say that. That'll I know, be yeah. So epic. oh no, I you know I've already I know what I'm gonna say. Um, <laughs> so I didn't come here to talk about any of this, Michael Bay. I came here to talk about Michael Bay. I made, I think one of the biggest mistakes I've ever made in my life on Doug Benson's podcast. And in general, I made a choice to, <laughs> um, to, to, to make fun of Michael Bay. And I wasn't even making fun of him. I was telling a story, but I, you know, like all comedians do, I sort of fudged the details so that it had a punchline that really worked and was hard, got a hard laugh. And um, I said something about how he was yelling at me and he was saying, TJ, you're not funny. You know, you're not being funny. You're not making anyone laugh. You haven't even made the Make-A-Wish kids laugh. You know, and then I kind of pretend to be the Make-A-Wish kids, and it's it's a stupid thing. But what what's so interesting to me, or frustrating, or why I'm so disappointed in myself is that everybody yells as a director, and everybody makes fun of directors who yell a lot, and people know that Michael Bay yells. You know, mm -hmm. but that's the easy route. I, I went, I, I I I said something that everybody already either says or talks about or whatever. The more courageous move as a comedian would be to talk about how strange it was to have him have this reputation and sometimes tell me directly, like, you're not, you're not being funny. Mm -hmm. You get one more chance and then we're going to move on. Not, you, you need to be funny on this next take. But then he would and he does. He made time for the Make-A-Wish kids to come and he's worked with the foundation for 17 years. And everybody that's worked with him, even though he's hard on them and they feel like it's a, a difficult uh, filmmaking situation they work with him again everybody we, most of the people he's worked with have worked with him for years and years and years mm -hmm. because he is a genius and so his approval means so much to you and also he makes these things that no one else can make he's like the master of american spectacle it's crazy mm. certainly in the cinematic form i i'd some i think i'd rather see some of his movies than cirque du soleil so it's this weird thing of like so I, I made that move, and the problem is, is that when I when I when they brought me into Transformers, not only did Michael Bay and his producer make a lot of concessions so that I could do another movie, Search Party, which may not even come out at the same time, 
Bay like welcomed me into this world that and not as like the Megan Fox slot. He brought me in and him and Mark Wahlberg slowly were like, oh, you're cool. You're like, you're very funny. You're a tenacious, really, really crazy work ethic guy who cares about and is talented. And we became, we began to become friends. Like Wahlberg sort of began to extend an olive branch once you make it past, you know, you know, rightly so he has, you know, an entourage with him that's there because if you're that famous, you can't trust anybody. And that's what I didn't consider Hmm. is, and then the virgins, because I'm young and I am not famous yet. I'm nowhere near as famous and never will be as famous as these guys, but both Bay and him extended this olive branch and, Both both Bay and him extended this olive branch saying, hey, we're going to pull back the curtain and this is what it's like to be in a blockbuster. How few people could do that? I had a conversation with Adam Sandler. I ran into him in Malibu. Imagine me freaking out being like, I'm talking to Adam Sandler. I'm talking to Adam Sandler. And I was, and he was like, how was, how was Transformers? And I was like, well, it's pretty crazy. He's like, oh, no, I know. I mean, I, I can only imagine. And I was like, God. Hmm. Even Adam Sandler is like, I don't even know what that's like. Mm -hmm. And they invited me to that world. And then Bay, who already has to deal with, and he and I have had conversations where he like, in the most eloquent, incredible way, responded to like, well, what do you think when the critics are really hard on you? And his answers are like really thoughtful and deep and, you know, I should have told the story and I'll say, I, I will tell it now. And this is what I wanted to do, but that, that I just, there's no way to apologize to someone because when he found that out, he kind of emailed me and basically said what I would have said, even though I was too young and too stupid to understand that, which is like, what the fuck, dude? Why would you do this? You know how much I care about the Make-A-Wish Foundation, something that you, TJ, care about because you believe that making that one wish happen is as important as putting money towards, you know, like curing leukemia, which you're not going to cure, and millions of kids will die before you do cure it. And then you went around and you made fun of me after I trusted you, and I extended and I invited you to my house and stuff like that. I would have, I would have felt the exact same way. And he felt so betrayed, I think. And he doesn't, at the end of the day, I'm sure he doesn't give a shit. I mean, he's, you know, he's Michael Bay, but it really was a fucking rookie, amateur, shitty, lame move on my part. And it wasn't right to him and it wasn't right to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. But more than that, it wasn't, it was, it was a shitty thing for me to do as a comedian. (laughs) That was a fucking lame, cowardly move because I could have told the story and made the story funny of when we were like racing around in a rally car and it was hot outside and he's like telling the stunt guy to turn and he's turning the wrong way and like Jack Rayner and Nickel Peltz are like, that's ah, so hot, we need more water, you know? And I'm in the back being like, hey, Wahlberg, this is pretty fun, right? And he's like, TJ, stop, just don't look at me. Like, I can't look at your weird face any longer. And it's 100 degrees, 110 degrees in Texas and we're on a blacktop asphalt and we've been shooting all day and we're going to make our day but barely and it's awful and Bay's like screaming to the walkie talkie because the guy on top of the car can't hear and it's just like mania Just I'm just dripping sweat it's mania we're making Transformers for Age of Extinction <laughs> billion dollars worldwide biggest opening in China this huge movie mm-hmm. and, and I just hear Bay go stop stop 
stop. You can hear it from every walkie-talkie all around <laughs> us. It's like, stop. And, and all the cars stop immediately. And we're just like, oh, God, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? He just comes over, you know, he's dressed all in white because he is truly an icon. <laughs> and he just comes over and he just leans down and he looks into the car and he goes, <sighs> it is hot, isn't it? It really is. And I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you guys are doing this. It's so fucking hot out here. And I know that this sucks. It sucks. It sucks. You guys are in here. I'm yelling at the stunt guy. He can't even hear me. Everybody has to listen. He's just, I know that this is hard. It's hard. And sometimes it's just, it is not necessarily fun to do this, but people love the movies. They love them and they're hard to do, but people just, I don't know. They just love them. And so thank you guys. All right, let's go. Let's go. And then he just went back. And it was this great moment. of He made everybody in that van, in the rally car, on the set, everybody who was doing it remember. It's the same reason he shows, like, sizzle reels of what we're shooting every week. He made everybody, like, buck up. And, like, even I saw Wahlberg, like, take a breath in and be like, all right, let's do this. And, and I, I, too, toddler-bodied comedian T.J. Miller, who ironically talks about how seriously I am invested in my performance in Yogi Bear 3D, and that's not a joke, <laughs> had to, like, take a breath and be like, yeah, listen to Michael Bay. Like, do it. Do it. Just do it. People love the movies. You're, we're here. They love Transformers. It's a loved film franchise. Everybody sees it. Yeah, it's hot. Sorry. It's 110 and you're sweating and you're sitting in a metal car. Like, why didn't I tell that story and then make it funny by being self-effacing, by directing it back at me, by doing the thing that I do all the time anyway? Why did I take the cheap route and make up a thing right. that he didn't say because it was funny and it got a laugh? It was just like a lazy rookie move. And, uh, and it was a bummer because I don't know if there's a way to bounce back from it because if I was him, I would not that I can be in transformers, you know, five or whatever, six, if you've seen the movie, it's, you know, it's just doesn't end well for me. Yeah. But <laughs> the thing is, is that like they Cloverfield, did yeah, you? yeah, they did it. They really did it. But which they do in every movie, pretty much. Uh, that's died. my brand. <laughs> a toddler that took a growth serum and then dies early on. So, you know, it's if I was him, I don't know that I would re-extend the olive branch because he doesn't have to, and he's been burned enough by critics and people like Peter Travers and and people that don't even make movies but make a living off of talking about which movies are good and which movies are bad, and they justify their own worth throughout just just by traversing the status anxiety that is American culture. Mm-hmm. If I was him, yeah, I don't think I would forgive me either. I think I'd just be like, you blew it, dude. You really blew it. Well, we have a surprise for you, TJ. Uh, Michael Bay is actually... Oh, my! That is, that's just a cardboard cutout of you with the word Michael Bay written over the face. Hello, TJ. It is him! <laughs> See, why did I do something like that? <laughs> I want you to write all of my Transformers material. So I, I, doubt he'll ever, I doubt he'll ever listen to this, but if he ever does, I really am sorry. It was not okay. It was lame. The stuff that you've done for the Make-A-Wish Foundation over the course of 17 years is more than I'll ever do for anyone, and I certainly will never make a movie that makes hundreds of millions of people happy. And he did. 
And so it's just a bummer. It's just it was like a young Hollywood, lame fucking bummer move. But I think, you know, I guess you got to make those sometimes to learn the lessons, I suppose. Tell him he's the greatest MB since Milton Bradley. Yeah, since Michael Borden. <laughs> I can't think of another MB. I, I wish I had said the previous one. <laughs> Because there is no great MB except for Michael Bay. <laughs> well, TJ, this was amazing. I mean, as always, we covered three amazing topics. I, I'm going to tell you, you should go, because I know if you heard TJ interrupt that story, it was him telling somebody that he had to stay. Literally, like, yeah, the girl that I work with just, like, non-verbally being like, get out of here. Yeah. Stop making yeah. eye contact yeah, with yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, Actually, yeah, yeah. I was doing something that I admire about Michael Bay, which was being like, listen to me. Something important is happening right now. It isn't about schedule. It's not about time. It's not about how hot it is in Texas and the rally car that you're in and how much you're sweating. It is about this thing. It's about the people listening. It isn't about me making it to the Silicon Valley meeting that I have. And then when I get there, somebody's going to be mad and feel like I've slighted them because my time is more important than theirs. And they feel like people don't consider them important enough. And all, and it all collapses into nihilism unless you choose to make it absurdism. Keep it morbid. <laughs> Perfect ending. <laughs> Now leaving Nerdist.com.